You are Locked On Cougars, your daily podcast on the BYU Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in on a Tuesday edition of the podcast. Hope you all are doing fantastic. Plenty to get to ahead on this episode of Locked On Cougars. We continue our look back at BYU football history, talking about 1965, the first, yes, the first BYU football team to win a conference title. Been a long time coming in this countdown. We'll talk about that. Have more of our conversation with Mel Olson about that 1965 season, as well as him being a pioneer of sorts in terms of BYU athletes serving missions for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll hear more about that from him ahead on today's show. And, of course, we will catch you guys up on everything else you need to know as a BYU fan here on a Tuesday. So plenty to get to ahead on today's show, but a reminder for you guys, If you have interest in any other uh, realm of the college football universe, our Locked On College Football experts have it covered for you guys, in particular, our conference shows. Whether you have an interest in the SEC, the ACC, Big 12, Big 10, or the Pac-12, we have a podcast for you that covers all those different conferences. would encourage you guys to check them out on whichever podcast provider that you happen to use. They are available just like this one is wherever you get your podcasts. All right, without further ado, let's dive on in on it. Tuesday. This is the Locked On Cougars podcast for June 15th, 2021. What's up, my friends? I'm Jake Hatch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, your resident BYU insider. I work for the Zone Sports Network in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks again for taking some time to join us on your daily podcast, focused on all things BYU. A reminder for you guys, just real quick, to make sure you hit that follow button wherever you might be listening in from. And if you're new to the show, hopefully you guys enjoy it. Uh, We have a blast talking about BYU every single day. As I am fond of saying, we aim to be your one-stop shop for all the BYU sports news you guys need to know about every single day. And the way we do that is to make sure you guys listen every day. We want you guys to be the smartest BYU fans in the room when you're talking with your family and friends. So a big thank you once again for your continued support of the podcast. All right, getting going here on a Tuesday. Give me a little more of an extended edition today, talking about 1965 for the BYU football program as part of our 100 seasons of BYU football. The reason... Well, it's the first time the BYU as a program found their way to the top of the mountain in terms of a conference championship. Yes, 1965 was the elusive conference championship season for BYU. They've been playing football for the better part of half of a decade when they finally broke through, speaking of the Cougars. And it was no small accomplishment. Uh, If you read in kind of the lead up to the 1965 season about the preseason prognostications for Tommy Hudspeth in his second year at the helm of the BYU football, program. A lot of people didn't think BYU had it in them to do anything other than finish in the bottom half of the whack. Some prognosticators apparently picked them to finish dead last, just like they had done so in 1964. The Cougars were 0-4 in 1964 in the cellar of the WAC, but they clawed their way right to the top, finishing with a 4-1 record in conference, besting Arizona State by going 4-1 as compared to Arizona State's 3-1 record. Uh, They actually had a 6-4 record overall, speaking of the Cougars. That was tied with Arizona State and Wyoming as well in terms of the overall records, but BYU takes home the crown. Tommy Hudspeth for his effort Efforts was named WAC Coach of the Year. United Press International, UPA, also named him Coach of the Year uh, for the region. 
He got some run in terms of coach of the year for the entire country. Obviously, when you go from worst to first, you got to pay pay attention to that. There's no doubt about that. And a very impressive season all the way around. So BYU opened up the year actually going to Arizona State, and this was a big win for them. Going Opening the season September 18th in Sun Devil Stadium in Tempe, winning that game 24-6. to They followed that up a week later with their home opener against Kansas State, routed the Wildcats 21-3 to at what we talked about yesterday, Cougar Stadium, which is now Lavelle Edwards Stadium in just its second year of existence. 26,000 fans on hand as the Cougars moved to 2-0. Then they went to Oregon and suffered a hard-fought loss, 27-14 at Hayward Field. Bounced back the next week against San Jose State with a 34-7 demolition of the Spartans, but then suffered their only losing streak of the season. A two-game road swing. They went to War Memorial Stadium in Laramie to take on the Wyoming Cowboys, were summarily dismissed 34-6. Followed that up with a loss at Utah State in Logan, 34-21, with 15,000 fans on hand there. But then, then... A huge win. After losing at Utah State, they come back after a bye week and beat Utah in Provo 25-20. to And as you'll hear over the next couple of days, that actually signaled the first winning streak for BYU, the beginning of the first winning streak for BYU over the Utes. We'll talk about that in 1966 tomorrow on the podcast and on throughout the days as you guys are aware with this countdown. But a huge win for the Cougars. 29,842 fans on hand at Cougar Stadium as the Cougars beat the Utes 25-20. to But I think it took a little bit out of them because they lost to Colorado State the following week. 36 to 22 for their final loss of the year. So at that juncture, November 13th, BYU sits at four and four on the year. Obviously, they're looking to really rally and win the conference title. Well, then they went to Arizona, won that game 20 to three, beating the Wildcats in Tucson, and then finish up the year on the road at New Mexico. 42 to eight was the final in that game, which clinched the na- the not the national title that was 1984. Clinched the conference title for BYU, but it was a game marred by an absolute tragedy, as some of you might be aware. The morning of that game, there was a charter plane flying from Salt Lake City to Provo, Utah, that crashed near Camp Williams, which is on the Utah County, Salt Lake County border. Any of you who have lived out where I live in Saratoga Springs know exactly where I'm talking about. It's the uh, National Guard base out this way. Well, a plane crashed, and Dr. Marion Probert, who was a former all-conference player for BYU, kind of the first blue chip player to come and play for the Cougars, an all-conference defensive end. Well, he perished in that along with, I believe, 16 other souls in a crash. It was absolutely horrific at the time. Just one of those things that kind of mars what BYU accomplished. And okay, mar might be a little bit strong of a term, but still, it's something that you don't ever want to talk about. But BYU had these alumnus, alumni, I guess I should say, like Dr. Probert, who was a doctor, a surgeon, who actually just passed his boards to become, I think, a full-fledged surgeon. Uh, he was traveling with a charter group to go watch BYU play there in Albuquerque. They were going to watch the Cougars in hopes that they would see them win that conference title down there in Albuquerque. They all lost their lives and that plane crashed into the mountain, the hillside there near Camp Williams. All people on board uh, passed away and just an awful, awful story. But an interesting note about this is there was some discussion, I did not know this, about the game being postponed after the tragedy. Uh, Ernest L. Wilkinson, the university president for BYU, was there for seemingly eons as the president of the university. He actually gave the go-ahead for BYU to play that game against New Mexico despite the loss of life with that plane crash. And the Cougars 
I think they probably played a little more inspired after hearing that news going out and winning that game to win that first conference title in 1965. And it was no small accomplishment. Let's be clear about that. And you're going to hear from Mel Olson here in a minute about how big of an accomplishment it was. And it was spurred really by a legendary uh, record-setting offense for the BYU football program. In 1965, the Cougars set 24 whack records. Uh, they broke or tied more than 50 individual and team records during the 1965 season. 24 of them, as we mentioned, were whack records. Quarterback Virgil Carter led the Cougars with 22 new marks. He was third in the nation in total offense, and his total offense yardage for the season totaled 2,263. Split end or wide receivers, what we call it now, Phil Odell, set records by catching 40 six passes for 657 yards and 11 touchdowns. Phil Odell is an absolute legend, a former Marine among, I believe, eight or so Marines who actually came to BYU and helped spur this conference championship. They all served in the military. Steph Odell, I think she listens to this podcast fairly regularly. That is uh, her family to talk about Phil Odell, her, her father, her grandfather, Steph, I apologize, I believe it's your father, and she's talked about how proud she was of his legacy at BYU, and Phil Odell needs to be acknowledged. I uh, also scored more points, speaking of Phil Odell, 66 than any other player in the WAC that season. That was another record. Kent Oborn led the WAC in punt returns, 25. Also made the longest punt return of the season, 94 yards. The season team records included most yards, a total offense, 3,687. Most first downs, 191. Most yards passing, 1,916. Most points scored, 229. Most passes completed, 128. And most wins in one season, six. All of them, obviously, made making 19-6 a memorable season for the BYU football program in addition to that uh, conference title. And for their efforts, guys like Phil Odell were named all-conference players uh, for BYU. Phil Odell, they actually uh, will talk about at some point down here. He was inducted into the BYU Hall of Fame in 1978. Uh, during his career, he was named first-team all-conference every single season, the first one coming in 1965. He was actually awarded the 1965 WAC Lineman of the Year. Uh, I didn't know this until reading this, right, as we were talking about this. I ended up, like I mentioned, going on to have multiple all-conference season, a former Marine out of Elgin, Illinois. Really, really cool. Went on to play in the NFL for a time and just an absolutely incredible story. Virgil Carter, for his efforts, was named All-WAC and WAC Player of the Year in 1965. This would be the first of two straight years that he accomplished that feat. As we mentioned, he had uh, set multiple records for his career. We'll talk more about them tomorrow. Six NCAA records, 19 WAC records, and 24 BYU records, also received an All-American Honorable Mention note, and ended up also being becoming BYU's first COSIDA Academic All-American as well. Just incredible to see what BYU did in 1965. And truly, a season that will not be forgotten. We'll talk about 1966, the follow-up to this season, where BYU, obviously, you win a conference title. You expect, you know what? We're going to come back and do it again. We'll run it back, as they say. Well, we'll talk about 1966 on tomorrow's edition of the podcast. But coming up here in a minute, we'll hear more from Mel Olson about that 1965 season, a season he unfortunately was unable to play. He'll explain more about that. In addition to a unique note about Mel Olson, and something that I quite enjoy about him, is that he is 
is actually one of the pioneers of guys serving missions, BYU athletes in particular, before coming back to play collegiate athletics. We'll allow him to explain all of that here in just a moment. Today's show is brought to you in part by our good friends over at Rock Auto, folks. No matter what parts your car, truck, or SUV might need, Rock Auto is the resource for you guys. You can go to their website anytime and find the parts you need for your vehicle. You can search out your car. I happen to drive a Chevrolet Cruze on a daily basis. I can pull it up, find the part I need, put the specifications in I'm looking for, the manufacturer if I have a specific one I'm looking for, even the price I'm willing to pay, and then you can search by that, find the right part, and the best part, it's shipped directly to your door. Rock Auto doesn't believe in having different price tiers. They have the same price for professionals and do-it-yourselfers, or as I like to say, I'm a try-it-yourselfer. I'll be honest, I, I try things. doesn't necessarily always go according to plan, but I'm willing to try it. So check it out, guys. Go to rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car, truck, or SUV will ever need. Check them out anytime at rockauto.com. Time now to talk with Mel Olson, a little more of our conversation about the 1965 season. In addition to his decision, as we'll talk about, to serve a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a pretty unique circumstance he found himself in, he'll explain. So without further ado, Mel Olson, more of our conversation with myself one-on-one right here on the Locked on Cougars podcast. But I do want to talk about Virgil Carter for a minute. I think he is one of the quarterbacks in the BYU pantheon that gets a little bit overlooked. We all know that the quarterbacks under Lavelle Edwards uh, were just absolutely legendary for all the stats they put up. But it's my personal opinion, having read a lot about the history and whatnot, that the Virgil Carter kind of was the first guy to really get things going. What made him so good? Well, he was uh, kind of the type that we mold a little bit. You know, he was a really good athlete. And he was really, really intelligent. And so basically, he was able to be in control of the situation and could balance the run game and the passing game and just didn't make very many mental mistakes. And as a, as a result, he pulled everything together, both the offense and the defensive. A side note on him, you know, when he graduated, he ended up getting drafted in the pros. And uh, he went back with Cincinnati. And Paul Brown, the legendary Paul Brown, mm-hmm. you know, he actually revolved his offense around Virgil Carter. And that's what has is known now or during that period of time as the West Coast offense. Wow. Okay. So that's that's you, you had a really intelligent quarterback, uh-huh. didn't have a great arm, but was very, very smart. And if you could give him who you wanted them to throw to and on timing then the thought process is they could be successful. So there's books that say that the, the reason that Paul Brown moved and had such success with the, with it might have been Cleveland at that time, but was uh, because of Lord Carter. So uh, I told him he couldn't have been famous though without his center because, you know, if they don't get the ball, they're not going to make all the so, <laughs> Absolutely. Come I, had on. A, I had a selfie. I had a selfie interest in Virgil Carter. <laughs> No doubt about that. So, 19, <laughs> as you mentioned, 1965 is the first time that BYU wins a conference championship. They win the WAC title with a 4-1 and record. If I'm not mistaken, you were a junior or a sophomore on that team? I was actually a junior, but I had wiped out my knee during spring ball. Okay. So, I actually read, I redshirted that year when they, they won the championship. And then I came back and played in, in 66 and we were eight and two. We didn't win the championship in '66, but but Wyoming was pretty good during that year too. So anyway, but but it was a great it was a great victory for BYU, and then of course you know our, our boosters were in that 
airplane accident. Mm-hmm. There was just an opportunity to be really kind of depressed, which obviously we were. But it was one of those things, too, that they had a chance to go out and win a championship and kind of represent a hope that all of these people were hoping for. So anyway, it was quite the transition, but the fact that, you know, BYU from 2-8 and eight can turn it around and, and win the conference championship, and then I think Tommy's big thing is is that we kind of had our way with the youth for a few years, and people tend to like that. <laughs> You'd be surprised. They're on a nine-game nine losing streak right now, and there are a lot of cantankerous BYU fans, and you know that as well and, as I and, do. And when we were there playing Utah the first year, that one had been my sophomore year. You know, there's this uh-huh. no Luke Gilman, you know, he's, uh, but he said, I was there the last year we beat Utah, and I go, whoa, we're all 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds. We said, what? We're not going to wait that long before we beat them again, you know. So uh, anyway, that was a positive. I want to talk a little bit about your career as a BYU football player. Because you mentioned the fact in 65, you took a medical red shirt. You come back and play in 66. But then if you look at Mel Olson's bio on BYUcougars.com, suddenly there's a two-year gap in there. And I think most, pe- and mo- most people understand, okay, two-year gap, a mission. But why did you go on a mission after your junior season? You know, it was kind of an interesting thing because this goes back into the history because it was pretty much unknown. There were very few players that went out on missions and came back and played football yeah. during that era. And uh, the, the other guys that we had on the team that we'd all played ball together on our freshman team, that was our top of the day. We were going to win. We were going to bring winning football to BYU. We were going to uh, serve our missions and then graduate. And so my friends, you know, it was, they were done because they didn't redshirt. But like, you know, born into culture and some of the uh, they were ready to go on their mission, and then uh, I, I was I had another year of eligibility, and so that's when I went in to tell Tommy that I was going to go serve a mission, and uh, he wasn't very excited, but I understand that he's a convert to the church and a good person, but he wasn't quite Lavelle Edwards in that area, so I kind of had to make a tough decision. Lavelle just told me he said, "Hey, you stay in contact, and when you come back." give me a call and you'll have your scholarship back. So it was kind of a step in the direction of uh, return missionaries coming back and playing, you know, and, and so I got my scholarship back and then actually Tommy offered me a job on the staff after I graduated. So when I came back, Mark Lyons was our quarterback mm-hmm. and uh, I ended up uh, getting hired to be the freshman coach on Tommy's staff. So, and I, I was I talked about this recently on the podcast. Legrand Young, who is the father of Steve Young, he's one of the few guys I saw that actually served a mission while playing as well. So, you guys essentially were early pioneers of all this because nowadays the vast majority of BYU's football players who are members of the LDS Church they all essentially go serve a mission by and large, and it's it's a personal decision. We all are aware of that. But right. as you mentioned during this era, very much it was not the way you guys were expected to go play football, and the mission thing was kind of a secondary option. There's no question. There's no question because I'm sure there's one, and we knew of some too during that time that that decided to go on missions and, and then tried to come back and play, and and uh, they didn't get back playing. And it might have been two things. You know, it might have been the attitude, but you know, Lavelle always said if a kid can play football before he goes on a mission, he can play football when he comes back. <laughs> and so that was my challenge, and uh, I was able to. I was able to. Yeah, so, Kate, so fill me in here. So you come back 1969, ultimately, is your senior year. After having served a mission, did you feel like uh, you it took you some time to get back into the swing of things, or did you kind of pick up right where you left off? 
You know, it was hard. It was hard, because, but I, I was able to come back in February. You know, I had my two years up, and I come back in February. So I had spring ball, and I had all summer. And, and everything was different, though. See, we didn't have great weight programs. There weren't people that were crazy in the weight room. We had terrible weight rooms, you know. And so we were all in the same ballpark, if you will, you know. Okay. But, but like when I was uh, playing, even, even after I got off my mission, you know, uh, I weigh 220 pounds. See, that's the difference we're talking about. Yeah. And so to get back into shape. And then part of the thing, of course, that you bring to the thing is, is an attorney. And, uh, you know, Mark Lyons was a good quarterback. And we had a good group, you know, Chris Verisopoulos and some people that popped up. And, and we ended up having a winning season, you know. And so uh, it was it was hard, but not impossible. But I was really glad that the ones after that that wanted to go on a mission and come back and play, they could. And then, then it became pretty standard because the pal would talk to them if they're not quite ready to play to say, hey, I, do you think it'd be a good idea to go on your mission this fall? You know? <laughs> and, and, of course, we've had great, great individuals that have come back that have gone on missions. But but it was, uh, I felt really good about it because it was a major step in reference to, you know, the same thing I was talking about with LaBelle. Mm-hmm. You can play before you go, then you can play when you come back. Absolutely. You can't play before you go. You're not going to get better out there. <laughs> so, uh, so it was great. And then the fact that, you know, I was able to get on the staff and then I was, you know, involved with the freshmen, you know, and I had against Coach Kipper Nielsen and Bye and, you know, a whole bunch of groups that end up being great. But, but even at that time, they were just barely getting to the point that they were allowing freshmen to play in varsity games. Sure. You know, they were having a struggling one year and, and Jeff Blank, who was a great running back out of Boise, you know, he was awesome on the on my freshman team. You know, and our season was over. And I went and told uh, the head man, I said, hey, he can play. Said, oh, he's just a freshman. He can't play. In and basically, I said, hey, put him in. You know, he got in and ripped it up. And then he went to the press, you know, the week and said, hey, we're going to kick you down the rear. You know, I'm like, whoa, you have to be careful saying that, you know. But he did, and we did. So uh, they they can do both. You know, they can play freshman and go on a mission and reach their goals. There you go. Mel Olson, a big thank you to him. You'll hear more from him in coming days. I had a very long conversation with him about his coaching tenure that we'll talk about as things progress here in the 100 seasons of BYU Football Countdown. Uh, Mr. Olson, or Brother Olson, as I am fond of calling him, ended up coaching at BYU for a long time, ended up becoming a BYU professor for a much longer time than that. A lot of good things he's done in his life, and BYU's been part of his blood for the better part of half of a decade. It's absolutely incredible. And like I said, you'll hear more from him in coming days. We'll have more of that conversation with Mel Olson. All right, coming up here in just a minute, we'll wrap up today's show, get you everything else you need to know here on a Tuesday about the BYU sports you love and care about. We'll get to all of that in just a few moments. Today's show is brought to you in part by our good friends over at Built Bar. They are the best tasting protein bars ever, and I mean that. I love them. I can't say enough good things about Built Bars. I want to encourage you guys to give them a shot. They have nine base flavors that they always have available in addition to occasional limited time flavors, like some of my personal favorites, like orange. It came up on their kind of the rotation of limited time flavors. I had to take advantage of it, pull the trigger and order them. I love Built Bars. It tastes like a candy bar. They got that soft nougaty center. They taste absolutely incredible. If you guys want a delicious treat that you can indulge in and not have to worry about how bad it is for you, 
but encourage you guys to check out Built Bars. High protein, high fiber, low calorie, low sugar. You will not believe how great they taste or how good they are for you guys. It's absolutely just a, it's a marvel. I, I, I think it's absolutely incredible. I want to encourage you guys to give them a shot. Go to BuiltBar.com right now. Place your order. While you're there, use the promo code LOCK15 for 15% off your first order. Can't encourage you guys enough to take advantage of this offer. Once again, BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCK15 for 15% off that first order and get going with Built Bars as they are the best tasting protein bars ever. Today's show is brought to you in part by our good friends at Bet Online, folks. They are the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season in full swing up coming with the All-Star game in just over a month now. NBA playoffs ongoing. Utah Jazz in action. I've been covering that heavily in my day job. Obviously, the NHL playoffs. You got interest in golf. You like MMA, UFC. No matter what it is, Bet Online has it for you guys. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the action. Head to the website. It's betonline.ag is the address. Or use your mobile device to sign up for free today. And when you make your first deposit, use the promo code Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus. You heard that right. 50% of whatever you deposit added in for free to bet with. It is free money. Take advantage of it now. Get to Bet Online as they are your online sportsbook experts. All right, folks, a couple of things before we go here on a Tuesday edition of the show. And something I failed to note earlier on in the show, it's kind of funny how things line up, if we're being honest. And what I mean by that is we talked about how earlier on in today's show, Marion Probert passed away in that horrific plane crash there in November of 1965 on his way to watch BYU win that conference title. Well, we are 81 days away from BYU taking the field against the University of Arizona. Well, number 81 has been retired completely by BYU Athletics, BYU football in particular. No player can wear that number, which honors the life and legacy of Dr. Marion Probert. Well, kind of funny how we're talking about the 1965 team, his tragic death in that plane crash, along with those other many souls there near Camp Williams on the day that we talk about him in the county down to BYU sports. Just one of those things. I like to call them serendipitous. They're just kind of funny how things line up that way. And I apologize for not noting that earlier on in the show, but 81 days away, it is happy Marion Probert day to all of you out there in Cougar Nation. Now, a couple of other things before we go here on a Tuesday. Congratulations and welcome to new BYU women's volleyball team member Aria McComber. She's a five foot six libero and defensive specialist from Kapolei, Hawaii. Recently graduated from Washington State University with a bachelor's degree in business administration and a minor in Chinese. As a Mandarin speaker myself, might I just say, be one of the first to say, Huaning A BYU to Area McComber, as well as Gongxi on graduating with your bachelor's degree. Pretty impressive accomplishment there. And obviously, BYU Women's Volleyball, one of the better programs in the entire country. Looks like they are reloading for another run at an NCAA championship. And Area McComber figures to be part of that. Congratulations once again to her for joining Heather Olmstead's team. Now, a couple other things is congratulations to 11 members of the BYU Women's Soccer Program. They were received all academic honors from the West Coast Conference that were announced earlier this week. The awards are given to WCC athletes who excelled both on the field and in the classroom. Well, 11 athletes means that BYU had an entire starting lineup, essentially, of athletes honored. Three of them were on the first team, speaking of Michaela Coulihan, Bella Felino, and Rachel McCarthy. Michaela Coulihan was also WCC Player of the Year, an absolutely stellar campaign for her, both on the academic side of things, after being honorable mention the past two seasons, getting the first team honored this year, in addition to other teammates receiving first team 
honors. Eight other Cougars received academic honorable mention honors. Speaking of Ashton Brockbank, Josie Galelich, Grace Johnson, Michaeli Moore-Call, Brecken Mozingo, Jamie Shepard, Cassidy Smith, and Cameron Tucker receiving those honors. Congratulations to once again all 11 of those women's soccer players on those honors. Alright, there you have it. That is everything you guys need to know. You guys are up to date here on a Tuesday edition of Locked on Cougars. Make sure to follow the show on social media. Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, whatever it might be your favorite platform. Search out Locked on Cougars and follow along. Make sure to also feel free to follow my work on Twitter as well, at Jacob C. Hatch, my personal handle. And if you guys would like to weigh in via email anytime, please do so. LockedOnBYU at gmail.com is the email address. Until tomorrow when we talk about 1966 and the follow-up to that conference championship, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. This has been the Locked On Cougars podcast for June 15th, 2021, and we will talk to you guys manana.